Tony asked me to speak tonight. I wanted to um, speak on a psalm that I really love. It's Psalm 107. So if you can turn to Psalm 107. And um, when I was thinking about this, kind of the overall theme of Psalm 107, it just seems like it's the battle of wills. So it's really the ebb and flow of the fellowship with God. So when you look at David when he wrote it, kind of chronicling the fellowship that the Israelites had with God, and they kind of fell into fellowship and out of fellowship, and so they were ebbing and flowing. And so it was really more of a battle of kind of pride and selfishness versus enduring, loving devotion to God. So what I wanted to share with you tonight is verse 1 through 21, and really when you look at those verses, we're going to go kind of through the ebbing and flowing of, of God's people, how they love them, and then they kind of seem like they drift, and then they repent and and so there's different ebbs and flows but i think there's a lot in this uh, for us so again it's been a blessing to me as i've studied this over the past few months and um so what i'll do is i'll just read through one through uh verse one through 21 and then we'll uh we'll get into the word here so it says in verse one it says oh give thanks to the lord for he is good his mercy endures forever let the redeemed of the Lord say, say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way, and they found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfied, satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in afflictions and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High, Therefore he brought their heart down with labor, and they fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. And he brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death, and he broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze in two and cut the bars of iron in two. And fools, because their transgression and because their iniqu iniquities were afflicted, and their soul abhorred all manner of food as they drew near the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of all their distresses. And he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their, their destructions. And oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So in these first 21 verses of Psalm 107, you kind of see the ebb and flow of how it seems like th there's um, a, a time of, of sin and, and a time of rebellion, and then there's crying out to God, and then he restores and so forth. So, But there's a lot in between these different verses. There's, there's a few times where it talks about the um, Israelites turning, or people of God turning back to him. and So it's really a story of God's mercy, how he's rich in mercy and forgiveness. And so if you look at verses 1 through 3, it talks about the goodness of God and the mercy of God. So that's verse 1. And so when I think about the goodness of God, there's so many attributes about God that we could go on forever talking about how good he is and how perfect he is and how loving he is. 
But the things that come to my mind are like he, he's a redeemer God. It talks about this in verse 2. Um, it talks about that he's a savior God. He saved us and made a way for us to get to heaven. He's a creator God. So he creates all things, which is really cool. I know there's a couple of uh, babies being born in the fellowship here uh, coming up next couple of weeks. So whenever you see a baby born, it's, all, it's just a miracle that God creates these babies. Um, just the, the, the ocean, the sunsets. I love to just sit at the ocean and watch the tides coming in and out and think how awesome his creation is so that every six hours the tide comes in, washes the back bay, goes out into the ocean. It goes back and forth and how creative God is to, to, to form this earth and how awesome his creation is. Uh, he's also a sustainer God. He just sustains life. He holds everything together. Um, he's a merciful God. He gives us things we don't deserve all the time. He, we could we deserve a, a punishment, and yet he's merciful. He's gracious to us. And then he's eternal God. So he lasts forever and ever and ever. And so the g- great news for believers is we get to spend eternity with him. So my mom always says that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. She has that saying that she says a lot of the times. And so when you think about focusing on God's goodness, it's a good remedy for us as believers um, to be thankful and grateful for all he's done. Whenever we're feeling down or we're feeling sorry for ourselves, a lot of times the best remedy is to just get on our knees and praise God and actually write a list of maybe the things that he's doing in our life that are good. And we'd be surprised sometimes. You, you could probably easily come up with a list of, I don't know, 50 to 100 things if you really think about the goodness of God. So, so this, this psalm really talks about the goodness of God and really thinking about that and praying about that. Um, in terms of verse 2, it talks about the rede- let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And so when you, I think in David's context, he's talking about redemption, speaks of the Israelites, the deliverance they had from slavery in Egypt. And redemption refers to a purchase of a slave's freedom. So if you were going to, if you were a slave in those days and you were purchased, <clears throat> someone actually have to pay a price for you to be redeemed or, or set free. So that's a picture of what God did in Egypt and also what Christ did for us as he redeemed us from our sins and paid the price for us. Um, so one of the verses that I came up with in, in 1 Peter that refers to more the New Testament redemption. It's in 1 Peter 1, 18 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by, by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish or without spot. So when you look at the New Testament, you know, Redeemer, Christ is our Redeemer, and the precious, his, he shed his precious blood to, to, to free us from our sins, and, and we were, again, slaves to sin. So sometimes I wonder why God would trade my sin for his only son and how much it costs to set me free. So I just sometimes that blows me away and that, that he, you know, before I met Christ, I was chained by Satan in, in, in shackles and, and in prison. We'll talk about this a little later in the verses, but I just give thanks to him and, you know, for what he's done for me and, and how he's set me free from this. So so that's just a blessing when you look at that verse in First Peter um, Verse 3 talks about how God gathers us from our, all kinds of lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. And God's heart is always to gather his people to himself. As you, if you look at the Israelites, he's always wanted to bring them back, even in modern day. How many, how many um, Jews are now gathered from the four corners of the earth back to, to um, Israel? And so his heart of a father is always to have their, his children close to him and in fellowship with him. And that hasn't changed. 
Um, you've often heard of this this uh, psalm, which is, I love this psalm, 139, verse 7 to 12. It says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. And if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. <clears throat> so it's just great to, that's in a, in a song, a worship song, um, I just love that song. It just talks about how God loves us, how he pursues us, how he's seeking to bring us again into fellowship with him through his son, Jesus. And um, so wherever we are, whatever we've done, God forgives us and wants to gather us to himself, which is a, which is a great comforting thought. In verse 4, it talks about um, how the Israelites were wandering. They wandered the desert for 40 years when they exited Egypt. And the chief reason they didn't reach the promised land is really fear of man. So they were afraid of the enemies that were out there in the promised land. Um, and so the fear of man always brings a snare. And there were also big complainers. If you read through um, an attorney's teaching Deuteronomy and look at Exodus and Deuteronomy, I mean, there's just a lot of complaining going on. Despite God's goodness and his deliverance from them as slaves and He's feeding them. He's feeding them manna. He's he's clothing them. Their clothes don't wear out. So we've been learning about that on uh, Wednesday evenings with Tony. But um, it's amazing how good God can be to us, and yet we can complain and we can um, we can fear man and we can um, we can disobey him in light of that. So um, so this just all these years build up, and so there's a lot of whenever we complain, whenever there's a fear of man, whenever there's disobedience there's always a separation between us and God and that increases unfortunately our distance and our anxieties and so forth multiply but but God and this doesn't really have to be our lot in life we can be filled with his obviously the power of his Holy Spirit if we ask him he'll fill us and give us victory over that and then in verse 5 it talks about hungry and thirsty their soul fainted them um, the the interesting part about this whole thing is that the longer we disobey God, um, the thirstier we get for other things. So our thirst doesn't just stop. It starts to increase more and more and more the more the, the further we're away from God until we really reach a state of like despair, which, again, we'll talk about in a minute here. Um, and we can find ourselves just in a wilderness, in a desert place. Um, so I guess the question for all of us, have we ever been in a state of anguish where our heart's heavy, and we're not sure where we'll go next or what we're going to do. And so the cool thing is here is, and the remedy is in verse 6, which is, verse 6 says, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And so when we get on our knees and we cry to the Lord in sincerity, he promises us to hear us. So I love the picture of God as a father because um, he's always there to rescue us, right? He's always there to help us, to pick us up, to put us on a on a rock and so one of the things one of the verses that I that I found which I again you've heard before I love this verse though Second Chronicles 7 14 says if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will hear their land so I just think that's a beautiful part of a verse in Chronicles that talks about the sincerity of a repentant heart and God's promise to, to, to renew us and to how he forgives us, how he heals us, he heals our lands. And so 
that's um, just an awesome promise that he has there. Verse 7 talks about uh, leading them forth by the right way, that they might go into a city for a dwelling place. And so, again, God always, you know, we're on a journey, we're on a path with our life, and a life is a series of choices and decisions. And so some decisions and choices are pretty easy, and so some choices are hard. Um, and so God gives us, the good thing about God is he gives us choices, right? We're not robots. And so it's it's just interesting that if God... If we pray and we seek his path, his plans are always for his glory and our good, right? And so if we stay in that direction, we seek his face, and we are, we're going to make sure that if we obey his word, we're going to be on the right path, and we're going to be in his presence, seeking his direction for our lives. And then our ultimate destiny is heaven, right? So that's, a, that's the awesome, that's the best city in, in, in the whole universe, right? So when you think about heaven... Um, that's his city. That's our destination. So we want to make sure that here on earth, our, our steps, our decisions that we make are all leading to that day where we'll meet him face to face. And then in verse 8, it goes back to thanksgiving again. It says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for the wonderful works to the children of men. <clears throat> and again, we talked about how we should be thankful for God's provision and goodness for us. We We know as people... You know, when someone says a simple thank you, it means a lot to us, right? So uh, you just hold somebody, uh, you're going to Wawa and you hold the door and someone says thank you. Oh, that's nice. You know, it just, it, when people are appreciated, it just feels good. Um, we had some friends, Brett had some friends dinner over the weekend. They wrote us a little thank you note. We're like, wow, that was really nice. I mean, it's, it just makes you feel good. And I think for, for God, he's done so much for us that if we have an attitude that's deep in our hearts of, of gratitude and thankfulness, I think it blesses his heart that we're so grateful to him. And so do we really thank him enough for what he does? You know, sometimes when I get selfish and I start, you know, getting self-focused, I just start to drift away from God's goodness and, and I start complaining and stuff. And that's just, that's just so wrong um, for all that he's done for me. Um, so I just, again, just want to live in continual thanksgiving and praise to him. And, um, and this psalm, again, reminds us that we just have to give thanks to him. Um, for all that he's done for us. And then the great part is he has a promise in verse 9. He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And so, again, you've heard this before, I'm sure, but God made each human soul with a hole that only he can fill, right? The problem is is when we try to fill it with junk. So I I flew to to Florida this past winter, and um, somehow... This woman got this like 700-pound sea trunk past the security guard, and she was trying to. I'm exaggerating. She was trying to jam it in the overhead compartment, and the thing. I mean, the overhead compartment's about you know foot tall, and this thing was just massive. And she's just jamming it and jamming it and jamming it until the stewardess had to go come and say, "Man, that's just not going to fit." But this woman was determined. She was going to force it in there. And I thought, "Wow, what a picture!" We sit there and. God has a hole in our in our soul, right, that only he can fill, and yet we sit there and jam it with all kinds of junk and poison. And he, you know, he probably just sits there and says, you know, it's just not going to make you happy doing that. If you, you can do it all day if you want and get exhausted, but when your arms get tired and you get tired of that, then I'll take that be- the baggage and I'll exchange it for a destination of a beautiful place. And so we we have to, you know, again, look at, look at this verse and say he, he satisfies the longing soul and fi- fills the hungry soul with with uh, goodness. And perhaps one of the best verses in um, 
in, in, in Matthew I found that relates to this is really giving your those pains the pains in your soul those things that are always nagging at you things that you're trying to fill your soul with it says give it to Jesus tonight it says in Matthew 11:28, come to me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest right so so there's we strive we try to fill our lives with things that shouldn't be there and so Jesus is so gracious to come and say, okay, if you're heavy laden, I'm going to give you rest. Just give it to me. Verse 10 talks about those who sat in darkness in the shadow of death, bound in afflictions and irons. So when you think about that, um, we can either sit in the light of the Lord and seek his truth and fellowship with him, or we can live in darkness, spiritual darkness, which... Um, it says here, those who sat in darkness in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons. Um, the problem is the death of our soul, right? We, we have a soul. And, and so if we just continually shun God and push him out of our life, it can kind of lead to a death of our soul, if you will. And it can it could lead to a depression and feeling like we're prisoners, like we're shackled to an impossible situation, right? So you hear a lot of people that are going through challenges without the Lord saying, yeah, I'm just in prison. I can't get out of the situation. I'm just stuck in the mud. I can't get, I can't get free. I'm, this is an impossible situation. And so, again, God offers that lifeline, his ready might arm to save in that situation. And in verse 11, it says, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. And again, we have a choice to make whether to listen to the, to the world the voice of the world or to the word of God, right? So we have a choice to make. And in here, there's answers to virtually every issue in life, right? I mean, I don't know if there's really an issue someone could come up with where you couldn't address it with the word of God. So <clears throat> if people continue to shun the word of God and don't want to listen to his voice, then in verse 14, or 12 rather, the consequences are, it says, he brought down their heart with labor and they fell down and there was none to help. So those that refuse to listen go through a spiraling downward stage where their hearts become heavy with sin, guilt, and the consequences of the rebellion against God. So that's really consequences of if we shun his word, we shun his counsel, maybe shun the people of God that love, love these people, then the consequences are their heart will get really heavy, right? And you've heard the, the, the story that's kind of a heartbreak, right? The, your heart gets heavy, it gets broken, and then it re leads you to a place of despair where maybe no one is there to help. But then there again, the mighty right arm of God there is, is there in verse 13. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. So you can kind of see a pattern develop here. Every time it seems like the people of God will get close to them, everything's going great. They might have everything that they need or want, and then all of a sudden they start to drift from him. They don't spend time with him. They don't seek him in his, in, in his word and or in fellowship. And then eventually they start to spiral and then they're down to their back to their knees again and then he's gracious to, to bail them out again so again it just talks about the graciousness and mercifulness of God um, so he's so patient and kind and long-suffering and gracious that um, he allows us to do this but tonight I just wanted us to just pray even from my heart that you know that pattern of of kind of the ebbing and flowing would stop um, and that you know, once you once you commit to the Lord and you can stay on that path, um, you don't have to go through the ebbs and flows and the pains of broken fellowship with him. So in verse 14, he talks about bringing them out of darkness in the shadow of death, and he broke their chains in pieces. 
In verse 15, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men, for he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars in two. So again, in, in 14, it's, it's great to see that he brings people out of, of darkness into his marvelous light, and the chains of unhappiness are finally broken and they're set free. Um, in verse 15, it, again, it talks about being grateful. So it seems like a lot of the, the, the remedy here for unhappiness is just this reoccurring theme of being thankful to God, praising him, and, and glorifying him with our lives. And so I think to the degree we, we stay in that constant fellowship, praise and honoring him, um, it's just the more fellowship we're going to have and the more joy we're going to have in our lives. And so he gives this victory. Listen to verse 16. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars in, in two. So notice that the prisons that hold us captive, whether it's sin or anxiety or it could be depression, it could be a bunch of different things that, that have us down right now or, or depressed. Um, he doesn't just open the prison door. He shatters the prison doors, right? So he, he doesn't say he just unlocks it gently. It says he utterly destroys the prison doors. He cuts the gates of bronze. So he doesn't just unlock it. He cuts the gates of bronze and cuts the bars of iron in two. I'm sorry, he, broke, he breaks the gates of bronze and cuts the bars of iron in two. So he totally destroys the prison. And so one of the verses in Romans 6, 5 through 7, that, that I thought applied here was, it says here, For we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. So again, Satan wants to hold us in a prison of, of sin, right? He wants to keep us there and captive. And so in Romans 5 and 7, it talks about us, we are now crucify with Christ so the old man's no longer right so we put to death the, the old man which is the sinful nature and the new new man is life and peace and joy and fellowship with God and so I was kind of thinking about the the two thieves on the cross and I always kind of go back to that thinking wow there's God gives so merciful he gives us choices right we he puts up basically two thieves on either side of of Jesus at the crucifixion and you have the one thief they both start mocking him, but then something turns the heart of the, the second thief. I'm not really sure what it is, whether it's when they're pounding the nails through Jesus' hands, he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. We're not quite sure what turns the heart of the second criminal, but we know that he does, once he's on the cross, he does get saved. He trusts Jesus as a savior. And so it's a beautiful picture of of Romans 5 and 7, 5 through 7, because I think, wow, that... That thief is no longer known as a thief. When we see him in heaven, he's going to be, he's going to be in glory. He'll be in perfect health. He'll be um, recognizable, and and he's going to be with with. In it says, uh, "You will be with me in paradise forever." So I think to myself, "Wow, you know, he doesn't have to have that old stigmatism of being the the criminal on the cross. He has a new name. He has a new." He has a new body. He's going to live in glory forever. So I just think, wow, what a, what a choice we get to make, um, whether we live in victory or we live whatever happened in the past. We live with our old sins and that baggage we carry around forever. And so um, I really believe that you know God set us free, free through through this, and um, 
And the other thing I was thinking is a lot of times when he sets us free, he breaks the bars of the prison. He cuts the bars in two. We sit there with a weldering, a soldering iron, and put the bars back together because we want, we like our prison. We like it the way it is. We like to be back in sin, or we like self pity, or we like destruct, like living in a destructive life. And I think, well, why do we do that? We really need to just once we're free, live free indeed. So, so that's that's really a a very um, that verse really spoke to my heart. And then in verse 17, it says, um, fools, because now we kind of go back to the ebbing and flowing. They're going kind of down again. It says, fools, because of their transgression and because their iniquities were afflicted. And their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of all their distresses. And he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So again, it talks about, here's another ebbing and flowing happening. Um, fools, because of their transgression. The Bible says, um, the fool believes there's no God, right? There, the fool is said in his, his heart, there is no God. So it talks about you know, being foolish and being wise, building your life on the rock of of Jesus, right? So if you listen to his commands and follow and obey him, he'll set you on the rock. But the fools, again, are building their life on the sand. And if we don't trust God and go back to sin, we're fools and reject God's mighty right hand to save us and again set us upon that rock that we can build our life on. And it says in verse 18, their soul abhorred all manner of food and they drew near the gates of death. So sometimes we refuse the food, the comfort, the, and the provision and the counsel of God, and prefer, for, again, prefer to go down that destructive path. But the food it talks about is um, their soul abhorred all matter of food. So again, our souls need, just as our bodies need fuel and food to survive, our soul needs food, right? We need, um, we're going to fill our soul with something. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. So is it going to be? a bunch of junk and destructive things or is it going to be the word of God and his fellowship and prayer and, and um, again growing our relationship with him and so that decision is going to again di dictate where we stand in terms of, of um, where we stand spiritually, physically relationally with other people it has, it has a huge impact on our lives and then again in verse 19 it says they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses Again, once again, God shows his mercy. You can see a pattern develop over and over again. And so Jesus' arms are always open to us to forgive us, comfort us, and strengthen us, right? If you read about the prodigal son, the father just lets the son go, but then he's always looking on the, the hill over the horizon to watch his son come back, um, to hug him, and, and again, make, make him part of the family. And, and so God, again, just reaches out to us and for, is willing to forgive us. In verse 20, he said he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from his, their destructions. Again, just look, thinking about this in, for us the, tonight, um, the word of God is so powerful, right? It, it can change lives. And so it's really important for us to really study the word, obey it, and pray that God reveals these truths to us. Because sometimes we could take the cross for granted. A lot of us that may have been in the church for, for a number of years um, you know, we can we can maybe look at some of the sins and like, ah, that's that's not that bad, and um, we can minimize our sins and that kind of thing, and th and that's a dangerous path for the believer. And so, I think you know what he's telling us in the, these verses is, you know, stay true to the word, um, stay focused on on God's 
the intimacy with him and the relationship with him. Ask him for forgiveness. Get on our knees and ask us for forgiveness. And again, Jesus will set us free from all the chains that we have, all the depression, all the anxiety that we have. He's waiting to take that burden from us tonight. And so what I wanted to read from you, or for you tonight, I don't know if you have any Spurgeon fans here tonight, but um, thank you, Rick. Um, if we had um, our fifth child, we were going to name it Spurgeon, I think. I don't know. If, no, okay. Um, but anyway, I really like Charles Spurgeon. He just has a way with words. And so I read this, and I thought, wow, you know, this is just a great um, way to, to end this evening's study, talking about how gracious and humble the Lord Jesus Christ is to all of us, right? He's just his humility, his sacrifice. And so I just wanted to close with this tonight. It's from Morning and Evening, Charles Spurgeon. Um, it's called He Humbled Himself from Philippians 2.8. It says, Jesus is the great teacher of lowliness of heart, and we need daily learn of him. See the master taking a towel and washing his disciples' feet. Followers of Christ, will you not humble yourself? See him as the servants of servants, and surely thou canst be proud. Is this not the sentence of the compendium of his biography? He humbled himself. Was he not on earth, always stripping off first one robe of honor and then another, until naked he was fast, fastened to the cross, and there did he not empty out his inmost self, pouring his lifeblood, giving it up for all of us, until they laid him penniless in a borrowed grave? And how low was our dear Redeemer brought? How then can we be proud? Stand at the foot of the cross, and count the purple drops which you have been cleansed, and see the thorn crown mark his scourged shoulders, still gushing with crimson rills, and see his hands and feet given up to the rough iron, and in his whole self to mockery and scorn. See the bitterness, the pangs, and the throes of inward grief, showing themselves in his outward frame. Hear the thrilling shriek, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if you do not lie prostrate on the ground before that cross, you have never seen it. If you are not humbled in the presence of Jesus, you do not know him. You are so lost that nothing could save you but the sacrifice of God's only begotten. Think of that, and as Jesus stooped for you, bow yourself in lowliness at his feet. A sense of Christ's amazing love to us has a greater tendency to humble us than even a consciousness of our own guilt. May the Lord bring us to, in contemplation to Calvary. Then our position will no longer be that of a pompous man of pride, but we shall take the humble place of one who loves much because much has been forgiven him. Pride cannot live beneath the cross. Let us sit there and learn our lesson and then rise and carry it into practice. So I just thought that was a great way to, to end tonight's study as Christ has done so much for us, sacrificed so much. And so in verse 21, it ends with, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So my prayer is that we're all grateful people filled with God's Holy Spirit, that we live to glorify him, and we, in that we get victory in all things. So let's pray together.